first hour, I'd like to just share a little, just a brief recap of the work in Uruguay. As we're working among the gauchos, which are Uruguay, South American cowboys, and we're in Uruguay, a country of about three and a half million people. Half of them live in the capital city of Montevideo, and the other half are scattered in the smaller towns and in the rural areas. The uh, primary industry is tourism for their white sand beaches, and the secondary industry is beef and wool. And so they have about three head of beef per capita and five head of sheep per capita. Uh, and we're basically three areas of ministry where we're working in the rural areas with the gauchos. And there, because of the industry being so strong, their um, lives reach a lot of people and have a lot of connections in the towns and cities as well. And so we have an area of our, of our rural areas where we're, where we're living, and then about 40 minutes away, the town of Melo, which is about 50,000 people, where we're helping establish a church with uh, Pastor Eduardo, who's a national pastor there. And then two other villages where we started church plants and try to get there on a weekly basis for a service. And so between those three areas, the Lord is uh, working in hard hearts with us, allowing us, giving us the privilege of preaching the gospel, the seed of salvation, and allowing God to use his word to change lives for his glory. And it's just wonderful to be a part of that. I think it's been just a little more than four years since we were here, so lots of Water has passed into the bridge, as they say, since that time. Um, but it's amazing how the Lord has stretched us, and um, usually that stretching, stretching comes in times of trial. So in 2017, I had a couple of herniated discs in my back and was down for a good time just trying to heal and ended up in the hospital for 10 days. And uh, finally was able to get some treatment for that when we came back in January and we're down in Florida. I'm doing much better and just praise the Lord for that. Also, uh, as a result of some of the pain medication they put me on in the hospital, it tore up my gut. And uh, so in 2018, I was back in the hospital and seeing specialists for my stomach issues. I lost about 35 pounds and couldn't even drink a glass of water without feeling just awful. Um, couldn't enjoy eating. And I'm a guy I like to eat. Um, and uh, so anyway, Went to see specialists, they were just practicing, so I'm trying this and that and the other. The, the one specialist I went to see, I'd go in and start telling him what's wrong with me, and he's in there typing on Google, seeing what he could pull up, and I thought, I, I can do that too. Um, and, and, then in, uh, so, and then in 2019, we had a tornado hit our house and take the roof off, and that made a lot of things go up in the air. And, uh, but through each of those circumstances, those situations, and the trials and the things surrounding that, God used it, as Corey Tim Boom once said, often th oftentimes what we might seem to be a hindrance or an obstacle, God uses for opportunity, and he would want to use it for opportunity. So we saw the opportunity for the gospel to go out in each of these situations. We saw God work in hearts and soften hearts and uh, work in our hearts and stretching us and growing us. And... Uh, my oldest son, David, said to me after, last year after the tornado, he said, well, 2017 was your back, 2018 your stomach, 2019 the tornado, what's going to happen in 2020? <laughs> and uh, we thought that furlough was going to be enough, but God had other ideas. And uh, so just a, a joy to be here with you this morning, a joy to be able to share and be able to be in fellowship and uh, share a wonderful time together with you. So if you would, this morning... Um, 
I'd like to tell you, there was in our bathroom after the tornado, we had this, this piece of plywood that uh, is just one eighth inch piece of plywood had left over from a project and Ta Tanya had painted on there uh, uh, a picture of the boat on the waves and put in Spanish the verse out of Mark 4 and the end, end of the chapter where the disciples are exclaiming, what manner of man is this that the wind and the waves obey him? And after the tornado, the, everything's just disaster zone. The door, one of the hinges was blown, and, and so the bathroom door was cockeyed. It wasn't even on the one hinge. Towels and everything imaginable scattered in the bathroom. And, but that picture that she painted was, she just hot glue gun a, a string to it, and it was hanging on a, on a nail there in the bath, on the bathroom wall. And it hadn't, hadn't moved. Everybody coming and going to help us, that came and helped us clean up in the days afterwards, just couldn't help walking by that door and seeing that sign painted, that verse in Spanish, on the wall attesting to our great Savior. What manner of man is this? So I'd like to go to that passage this morning, Mark chapter 4. The disciples exclaim this. What manner of man is this? They marvel. They're in awe at seeing what Christ did. And when we think about the book of Mark, what is the theme of the book? What is his purpose in writing the gospel? Some of you guys know, I know. It's a, it's a question. What is the purpose? What is Mark's purpose for writing the gospel? Why do we have the gospels? And what is specifically is Mark's purpose? Anybody remember? You can just, you can just say it. Christ the servant. Christ the servant. If, you, if we go back to Mark chapter 1, just put leave your, hand, your finger there in Mark 4, we can go back to Mark 1, 1. It says, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Christ the servant, he's, he's portraying him as the Son of God. This is the good news. Christ Jesus, the Son of God. And so then we get to chapter 4, and the disciples are marveling. They say, what manner of man is this? They'd seen his human side, they'd seen, but they'd also seen him do many miracles. And like the objective of the other Gospels, Mark, one of Mark's big objectives is proclaiming Jesus is God. <clears throat> He's the God-man. We've seen His humanity. And in this story, we see both His humanity as He is tired, and we see Him as God in charge of creation. So, he just demonstrates his power. He's demonstrated his power over sicknesses. And they've seen him heal people, restore limbs, restore sight. And then here, after preaching all day, he gets in the boat. Now let's read, uh, starting in verse 35 till the end of the, end of the chapter. Mark 4, 35. It says, In the same day, when even was come, he saith unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side. And when they had sent away the multitudes... They took him, even as he was, in the ship, and there were also with him other little ships. 
And there arose a great storm, and the waves beat into the ship, so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they wake him and say, Unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he rose and rebuked the wind and said to this, unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? They were in awe. What manner of man is this? In John 1.1, we're told, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Jesus is the Word who is the Creator. All things were made by Him. There was not anything made that was not that was made without Him. Then in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 16 and 17. He not only created all things, but He holds all things together. It says in Colossians, For by Him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in the earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by Him and for Him, and He is before all things and by Him, all things consist, are held together. So we know He created it, but He's holding it all together. And if we go on over to Hebrews chapter 1, 1 through 3, He sustains it. He sustains this creation that He made by the power of His Word. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in the time past, unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and by whom he also made the worlds, being made the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholdeth, upholding all things by his power. So he created it, he, sus- he holds it together, And he sustains it by his power. And here the Lord clearly shows us he has the power over his creation. If we think a little bit about the Sea of Galilee, where they were were on the edge of the sea and they go to cross the sea. Think a little bit, this is the, the lowest freshwater lake in the world. The Dead Sea is lower as well, but it's also saltier. This is the, the Sea of Galilee is the lowest freshwater lake in the world. I believe it's 682 feet below sea level. It's surrounded by mountains on the west and northwest. And the mountains are about 1,500 feet high. And then you go all the way up to directly north of the Sea of Galilee is Mount Hermon, 9,200 feet above sea level. And then it tapers off in the northeast and east to about 3,000 feet elevation, the Golan Heights. 
range of hills that reaches about 42 miles long coming out down off of Mount Hermon. <clears throat> the Sea of Galilee is primarily fed by the Jordan River. It comes down off of Mount Hermon. Nice fresh water, right? <laughs> In the springtime, the water coming off there is going to be right cool. <clears throat> coming down the Jordan River and flowing in to the Sea of Galilee. And there's also some other hot springs that feed into it, but the majority of the water comes down the Jordan River. The scientists have studied it and said there's about three different stratas of water and temperatures in the water, different algaes that grow in different temperatures that make the fish extremely prolific. It's one of the most prolific bodies of water to fish in in the world. The quantity of fish that are taken out of there. And we know that at least four of the disciples were fishermen. Can anybody name them? Who are the fishermen and the disciples? Peter? John? James and Andrew. Very good. So these four of these guys are fishermen. They've been out there. They were used to this sea. But another thing that you have to think about this sea is that sitting down 600 plus feet in a bowl among the mountains that are surrounding it. <clears throat> in the summertime, you have the hot winds blowing off the desert to the east. They're coming up and over that, those 3,000 foot hills and they go down into this bowl and hit the cool waters of the lake. <clears throat> causes a storm. They say that you can count on it between 2 o'clock and 6 o'clock in the afternoon, there's going to be a storm of some sort arise just come with the east winds in the summertime. And in the wintertime, when the north, the, the north or northwest winds come blowing in over the heights and they come down into that bowl, and what, is, what kind of air do you have settled down in the low places in the wintertime? Cold or hot air? In the wintertime, is it cold or hot? Down in a bowl where the water is warmer, it's going to be warmer air down in, in, the, in this bowl. So you have the cold wind coming over the mountain in the wintertime and stirs up the sea. It can just happen like that. <clears throat> and so that's kind of the setting we find ourselves in in this, in this chapter. As we see in, in verse 35, it says, That same day when even was come, he said, let's, let's pass over to the other side. He'd been out teaching. It'd been a long day of teaching the multitudes there. He'd, been, he'd taught on several parables. The parable of the soils, the lamp and the basket, the seeds that were planted by night, the mustard seed, about describing the kingdom of heaven. And he says he'd been there all day, and he says, let's go over to the other side. And when they, had, they, went, they sent the multitude away, and they took him, even as he was, in the ship, and there were also with him other little ships. So he's in, this, in the ship, and there's other people and other boats around him. They're going to cross in this flotilla, go across the sea together. <clears throat> and it says, And there arose, in verse 37, a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship, so it is now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. So why was he asleep? Anybody else? Preaching all day. He was tired. 
You've been preaching all day and it wears you out. When you're teaching or preaching, it just drains you. So he's, we see his human side here. He'd been preaching and he was tired. He gets in the boat and lays on a pillow and is asleep. <clears throat> Have you ever felt like the Lord was asleep? Has there ever been a time in your life where you think, where's God in this picture? I need God to do something now. Maybe we don't want to admit it. Times in our life when we feel like, where is, where is God? Doesn't he care about me? Like the disciples cry out, don't you care? We're going to die. These were fishermen. They'd come to the end of their resources. They'd been out there their lives on this sea. When they couldn't row anymore, they couldn't bail fast enough, the ship filling up with water. And he was asleep on a pillow. And they cry out to him. I think if, if we look in the psalmist, in the Psalms 35 and 23, he says, Stir up thyself, awake to my judgment, even unto my cause, my God and my Lord. Or again, 44, 23, Awake! Why sleepest thou, O God? Arise, cast us not off. Or in 120, Psalm 121, 3 and 4, He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall not slumber, neither slumber nor sleep. So at times we might, we see this both, both things in the Psalms, where the psalm is crying out, Awake! Awake! Don't sleep in my, my calamity. So we might feel like the disciples did in that terrible moment where things are out of control. They don't have the resources to save themselves except for Christ, who's the only one in the back of the boat. And they call out to Him. They say, wake up! So we have times in the psalmist and different, different times where he cries out, as it were, where is God in this situation? But then we know over and over again in the Bible we have things like Psalm 122 where he says, I will, never, I will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. <clears throat> Hebrews 13.5 Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. The promises of Scripture. It's not like the false gods. They think of the prophets of Baal when they're up on Mount Carmel. And they're gashing themselves with knives and it says the blood is gushing out and, and Elijah sends over there and he's mocking them. Maybe your God's asleep. Maybe he's on a journey. It's not like the gods of this world. Our God is always watching. I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. So we think he's headed to the other side. Why were, why were they going to the other side of the lake? Simply, because Jesus said, let's go to the other side. <laughs> they headed to the other side of the lake. They were obeying the master, headed to the other side of the lake. And Jesus is totally calm about this. Did he know what was going to happen? 
Sure he did. He is the guy. He's resting peacefully in the boat. Shows his humanity. He needed rest after a long day's work. But then we see a stark contrast. His deity. He is God. As he allowed this, he's in charge of this storm and he was able to show his deity and control over creation. So if you know where you're going, there's no need to panic. <clears throat> Did their lives matter to him? And they're crying out, Master, carest thou not that we perish? Did their lives matter? Do our lives matter to God? Does he care for us? He says that he counts the hairs of our heads. He knows when the smallest bird, a sparrow, falls to the ground. He cares for you so much more. <clears throat> so they're panicked and they cry out to him. Their lives were in jeopardy. It says in 8.32, in, uh, in Luke, if we look over at Luke, when he's recording the same scenario, Luke says, but they, as they sailed, so when they set out, the waters weren't tumultuous. They had, they had oars typically on the boats. They also had sails. So as they sailed, obviously in the evening there was a nice breeze blowing. They were able to set sail. As they head out across the, the lake to go to the other side, Luke says, but as they sailed, he fell asleep. And there came down a storm of wind on the lake, and they were filled with water and were in jeopardy. One of those winds that came down and hit the lake and caused the water to stir up and the storm to be on. But if you know where you're going, there's no need for panic. I think of the children of Israel. When they, God had shown His power over creation with the ten plagues of Egypt, they're finally delivered from Egypt after 400 plus years being in slavery. And they go out across the desert and they come up to the Red Sea and turn around behind them, and here's the dust clouds and the Egyptian army pursuing them. And they cry out in terror. And Moses said in, in Exodus 14, 13, Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which He will show to you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today you shall see them again no more forever. Basically, be still and watch God. This is God's show. It's out of your control. God's showing you something right now. He's bigger than this. So as these four, at least four of these disciples are there, they come to the end of their resources, they have to cry out to the Savior, wake up! Wake up, don't you care for us? We're perishing. <clears throat> but trust and peace only come when you know exactly where you're going and you know who's in charge. In this case, who's in charge of the ship and who's in charge of the storm. You know, Philippians 4, 6 and 7 Probably most of us have, can quote that. <clears throat> the thing about Philippians 4, 6 through, through 8, or through 7, says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. 
And the peace of God, which passes understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. It's not through your own figuring it out, through your own working. It's through Christ Jesus. But it says the peace of God, which passes understanding, is going to keep your minds and your hearts. There's going to be a guard for your hearts, your emotions, your minds. You know, we can't do it on our own. It has to be through Christ. It's not, i gotta, I got to have enough faith for this. No, God is the one that gives us that. It's through focusing on His Word and He grows our faith from day to day as we focus on Him and we're immersed in His Word. It says His peace that's going to be that guard, that protection in times of storm when the storms are beating about and the fear all around. And we can feel that fear almost as you walk out in the world and so many people who have no future, have no hope, are in fear and terror. We've seen that so much in the world over the last few months. The fear and the terror because of the uncertainty and because of something they can't even see. And the effects of that. And they're reigned by fear. But it's not something special about us, except that Jesus saved us. Through Jesus Christ, He says He will guard your hearts and your minds, be a guard to it against the fear. And He'll give us a peace that passes understanding. And when, that, when the tornado ripped the roof off and it, the one side went and the other side lifted up about a foot and a half, almost two feet, and I, I just remember looking up and seeing it, fixing to go, I was like, Lord, not the other half too. Just exclaimed out loud. And the, one of the wind just slammed it back down. There was towels pinned between the, the boards and the beams toilet paper and you name it, pen between the two things where the roof went up and then slammed, slammed it back down on the other side of the house. But then looking around and checking the family, making sure they're okay, and there's just a peace that passes understanding that like only God can give in situations like that. When things are out of your control, only God can give the peace. And guard your hearts and minds from going haywire. He said in John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Isaiah 26, 3, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. <clears throat> And if we go back to our text in Mark thir uh, 4, 39, it says, And he arose, and he rebuked the wind, and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. You know, after the wind stops, usually the waves still moving and sloshing. But it says, he calmed them. 
There was a still and a great calm across the sea. They saw his power over creation. And we see that Christ takes the disciples' attention off the storm and he says, refocus right here. Refocus on who he is. Take your focus off the storm and refocus on God. And how were they refocused? Very simply, through his word. Through the word of God. He refocuses on who he is. God of God, the king of the universe who's in charge of the storms. He deals with a storm and comes back to the hard issue of where their faith is. And when they realize who he is, they're refocused on him through his word. Through the same God's word who spoke in the beginning and created the world. God's word who calmed the sea. It's the same word today. It speaks peace. Be still in our hearts. And then we see the normal reaction of being in his presence. When you realize, when, when human beings realize they're in the presence of God, what's the normal reaction? We see over and over in Scripture. It's a question. What's that? Fall on their face. Fear, awe, reverence. Realizing how small and insignificant we are. And our Creator and God is paying attention to us. Oh. Think of Abraham chapter in Genesis 28 or 1817. Abraham answered and said, Behold, now I've taken upon me to speak unto the Lord, which am but dust and ashes, when he's entreating the Lord for Sodom and Gomorrah. Or Manoah, when he, find, he finds out his wife is going to give birth, and, and, he, and he goes out and meets with the angel, and he says, Surely we shall die. We've been in the presence of God. Or Isaiah 6 and verse 5, it says, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. Or John in Revelation, when he says, And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. That awe and reverence when you know you're in the presence of God. The disciples here says, And they feared exceedingly. When he has demonstrated to them that he is God. He's in charge of creation. He's in control of all things. So whether it's a storm on the sea, a tornado, a virus we can't see, or a multitude of other things that causes tumultuous living, something very out of ordinary in our life where we're ten tempted to fear, we're tempted to react in fear. We have to go back to God's Word. Focus on His Word. Be refocused on Him through His Word. 
and exclaim, what manner of man is this that's in charge? But we also have the great opportunity these days. Many people harden their hearts and are looking for a multitude of other things, but God softens others' hearts and gives us opportunity to speak and declare, behold, what manner of man. He is God. And I have the opportunity to share Christ with the lost and fallen world. So as we refocus on Him through His Word, Peter says, 1 Peter 5, 7, Cast all your cares upon Him, for He cares for you. Psalm 55, 22, Cast thy burden on the Lord, and He shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. That's not because of our own strength. It's only through His strength. So in these days of uncertainty, these days of tumult in the world, it's not just here in the United States, across the world, fear and on every side, we have the opportunity to say, Behold our God, the Creator of the world who's in charge. His plans are marching forward. We have the opportunity to share with the lost and fallen world, but also see God work in our own hearts, see the peace that passes understanding. God speak, peace, be still amidst the fear and the tumult. So would you bow with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, as we read your word, as we come together as a family in Christ and we study your word together, such a privilege. We thank you so much for your spirit who teaches us and guides us into understanding and that you would just allow us to apply your word this week as we face the world, we face the fear. You give us opportunities to witness that you would give us wisdom to speak forth boldly of your mighty work on the cross of Calvary, your love for the lost. Lord, that you would give us a love for the lost. We would be able to proclaim to them, you as God, behold our great God and our Savior. Lord, as we see you work in our lives too, give us the calm and peace that others would see that and magnify you. We just thank you for this time. We can glorify and magnify your holy name. Amen.